0: verse 1. Um, thank you for your prayers. I have remained negative throughout this time. Thankful for that, Karen. Uh, COVID is in the rearview mirror for her, and uh, we. she is in the back keeping our granddaughter, and our granddaughter's a petite little two-year-old, but she's large and in charge, and uh <laughs> Uh, She gets me to do things nobody else, including Karen, could get me to do. A lot of times on Sunday mornings, I I get up, I go through my study, and then I have like 15 minutes where I just decompress before I get ready to come, and today I was thinking, uh, I'll catch a little bit of Wimbledon and watch a little tennis. That wasn't happening. We were watching VeggieTales and Mickey Mouse (laughs) Club, but... uh, Anyway, we take her back today, and we'll miss her greatly. Um, it's nothing like a grandchild, a granddaughter. Uh, she's been missing her parents at night, especially, and we caught her mom will say, "Only two more sleeps, only one more sleep," and meant one more day. And so, I know she'll be excited this afternoon, and we will get our house back in order and be sad at the same time. We're gonna look at First Corinthians fourteen and verse 1, in just a moment. While our granddaughter was here, um, she doesn't have a very big backyard, and so we enjoy going out in the backyard. She loves outdoors and loves working, and so uh, we decided we were going to feed the birds, and so she helped me do that. If you uh, are around my house very long, you'll know that I, I like birds. I'm not saying that I'm a great connoisseur of birds, but I love looking at them, and I most certainly love feeding them. And uh, Jerry and I were laughing the other day. He said, Rick, you know, they can find other things to eat during the summer. And he's right on that, but I still feed them. And it cost me about 40% more now than it cost a year ago to get the bird food. Maybe I need to, to think about that. But enjoying birds, uh, about a couple of years ago, I um, subscribed to a periodical called Birds in Blooms. There are a lot of amazing pictures in it that professionals and non-professionals are taking a lot of interesting information about birds and plants. uh, And I was reading an article this past week. It was a question and answer thing. You, you, You ask the professional a question and they respond back to it. And the question had to do with unconventional birdhouses. And someone wrote in and said, we understand that uh, you can convert old work boots into a birdhouse. Now, I don't know how they thought that might happen, uh, but the professionals were a married couple. They uh, dispelled that particular rumor. They said, actually, it doesn't really protect the birds as it ought. It doesn't protect them from insects and from the elements and from predators and all of that. And so they said, really, it's not a great idea. While it sounds good, it's not a great idea. And Sort of jumping from that, the two authors began to address the subject of unconventional birdhouses and they basically, in effect, said you need to be careful of those and if you really like them and want to have them anyway and they're really not functional, just put them up but don't put a hole in it. And I was thinking that's basically saying let it be for show but it really is not carrying out the function that it's supposed to. I, I don't know about you, I, I don't want a birdhouse just for show. I wanted to actually carry out something. Today as we're looking the subject of spiritual gifts, Paul is writing about a particular gift, the gift of speaking in tongues. And it looked pretty, we might say. It seemed to be spectacular, but as Paul is addressing the church here, he said, what looks so good because of how you're carrying it out is actually not functional it's a gift given at that time to the church but it's not being used rightly look with me at first corinthians 14 beginning in verse 1 pursue love and desire spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy for the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people but to god Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so the church may be built up. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, If they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. Let's pray. Father, as we look at A subject not often discussed in the Baptist church, but Lord, in your word, I pray that you would guide us into your truth. I pray, Father, that our study of the word would give us a greater understanding of gifts and the purpose of gifts, but also a greater appreciation for the fact that you allow us to be used by you in the ministry of your church. Father, speak your truth, I pray today in Jesus' name, amen. Last week we looked in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and, and the entirety of chapter 12 was really dealing with the various ministries and uh, the various uh, gifts that were given to the church and so he was talking about the spiritual endowments that God gives and then at the end of chapter 12 back a couple of weeks ago. We looked at the fact that Paul said, but I want to show you an even better way. And so he moves from the gifts of the Spirit to one of the primary fruit of the Spirit, that being love. And so last week we looked at love and how no matter what we do in ministry or no matter what gift we may have, if it's not motivated by and driven by love, it is like um, uh, a clanging cymbal that is sort of irritating and not productive. Well, this week, Paul is moving back to first, in First Corinthians chapter 14 to the subject of spiritual gifts. And here he is comparing, and we see it directly in the Word of God, the gift of speaking in tongues to the gift of prophecy. And as is obvious, while he doesn't directly say so, the issue of the church there was this. There were people who were operating or using the gift of tongues, but it was not fruitful. It looked good, it it was a spectacle, yet it was not benefiting the church because what was communicated verbally had no meaning to those who were listening. It was like a birdhouse with no holes in it. The appearance looked good, it might seem to be functional, but it actually was not functional in the local church. You know, the subject of speaking in tongues is a hot-button issue in many circles today. There are certain denominations that emphasize the speaking of tongues. They emphasize the practicing of tongue speaking. I knew one pastor a number of years ago who even tried to teach somebody how to possess the gift of speaking in tongues, and there would be lessons each week given on that, And there's this thought that if you attain that, there's a greater spirituality. But this contradicts what we just read in God's word, and it contradicts the clear teaching of scripture. Here in Corinth, it was not considered to be a greater gift. In fact, compared to prophecy, Paul says it is a much lesser gift. So today I want to look at this particular gift. Why was it given? We're actually going to have to look at it two weeks because there's a lot of substance here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. How does it compare to the gift of prophecy? We're going to see clearly that. And then we're going to revisit, if not by the end of this week, next week, really the purpose of spiritual gifts. And the purpose of spiritual gifts, just a hint, is not to... Provide a spectacle to draw attention, to be a distraction. No, the purpose of the gifts, to build up the local church. I want to look at the nature first today of the gift of tongues. And over these next two weeks, hopefully we'll gain a better understanding. Not often is this subject addressed in Baptist churches, because I would say in most Baptist churches, tongues is not practiced. or some symbol of tongue speaking is not practiced. sometimes we might look at it as an elephant in the room and we might allow certain other people to define this and we say well i'm not comfortable with that i'm just not going to look at that and we just say let them do what they're going to do and we will do what we're going to do yet while that sounds good it's important to study the scripture thoroughly and to seek to understand this gift not that we might win an argument or not that we might say, well, you're doing it wrong and I'm doing it right, but so that we would be convinced in our mind and understanding of what the scripture teaches about this particular gift. And and so I want to look as we we study the nature of this gift, I want to look at four areas this morning. And the first is this, tongue speaking is known as a sign gift, a sign gift. Some people say it's a miraculous gift, I see that, but I like the idea more of using the term sign. Jesus used signs, the, the changing of, of uh, water into wine, um, other signs that he did, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. They were amazing works that were signs. You say, well, what's the difference in a sign and a miracle? Well, basically, a sign is a miracle with a purpose. A miracle can happen in and of itself. And by the way, a miracle is not normative by its very definition. It doesn't happen every day, all right? But a sign is a miracle that points to another direction. After I leave here today, uh, we're gonna be heading toward Petersburg and I've driven it enough to know really the back of my hand where it goes. I don't have a GPS, I have not a smartphone. Uh, But even if I did not, I could follow the signs and when it says, you know, go right if you're going to Petersburg, I would follow that sign I wouldn't say oh what a beautiful sign that is and keep my eye on the sign if I'm not careful I'll drive right into the sign why because the sign is not an end in itself a sign is pointing further to something else and so as we look at the miraculous gifts or what I would call the sign gifts we see that they're not an end in themselves It's not that they're to show, to say, boy, that person is spiritual, that person does that. If that happens, then that would be like a sign that points to itself, is to point to Christ. And so as we look at it, we see that signs like uh, the healings and uh, the miracles and the tongues, they serve to validate the gospel. They serve to validate the gospel. And these signs were not normative, they were not the norm, but it's very important to know just because they were not normal did not also mean they were more spiritual. They were not. In fact, we see here that it's not considered to be one of the higher gifts. But I want you to see a second thing, and it's this. The, the gift of tongues does not endure forever. We saw that last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8, where it said, And as for tongues, they will cease, they will stop. Paul wrote this epistle in the first century AD. And there are two camps of belief in regard to tongue speaking there's the cessationist camp, from the word cease, that they have stopped. And there are those that believe that the gift still exists today, I tend to be, in my study, the first group, the cessationists, that, that the gift does not exist today in the biblical form. Now, you say, well, what about people that begin to ramble and stuff? I'm not there to interpret. I'm, I'm there to interpret what the Word of God teaches me and what the Word of God teaches. And so it's what I would call, and we looked at prophecy, an inceptive gift. It was given in the early church. Now, it's important to know when Paul was writing these words, what was not completed, the Bible. The Bible was not completed. And so there were authoritative words. There were authoritative speakers who were still adding to what we know to be the word of God. And so as we look at it today, this side of the early church, the Bible has been completed. And the Bible is enough. I shared in Sunday school today about people who were looking for signs. And remember in, I believe it was around Matthew or Luke 16, uh, I think it may be Luke, uh, but it's the, the, the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man was in dialogue with Abraham, and he said, even though I can't get out of hell, send somebody to my brothers from the dead who will tell them they better avoid hell. And what did Abraham say? Well, you're right. They need that miracle. They need that. He didn't say that. He said, they have the law in Moses. If they won't believe the law in Moses, then someone coming from the dead won't accomplish that. What is he saying? The word of God. So you say, why were tongues given in the early church? Why why are they not necessary today? Well, we're going to look at it more next week. I promise we'll look at it more in depth. But just a little preview is this. When the church began, the gospel was new. The Jews exclusively thought themselves to be the people of God, that non-Jews like we, we couldn't be part. Also, that the Gentiles didn't have the confidence that they could be a part. And so there was a need to validate that. And so we're going to look at three cases in Acts where we see the laying on of hands and we see... um, in in at least two of those cases where tongues followed the laying on of hands and we're going to see the purpose of that and the purpose was so that the jews could visibly see whoa this is a new day the gospel is going to the gentiles the gentiles like a little kid in a little league game stepping up to a batter's box and fearful could with confidence say well this sign validates that this is from god and so as a result both would be led validate that the gospel is for all people but once that was established and it was established in the early church there's not the need for it today you say are you saying there aren't miracles I'm not saying that there are miracles today but I am saying this the word of God is the authority and the word of God at this time we have all of it in that day they did not have all of it and so there was the need for that I've illustrated this way before. It would be like if you and I were to open a donut shop, which we do need a great donut shop in the area. And we would have a grand opening, and what would we say? Buy a donut, get a donut free. And we would do that for about two months. Now, why would we? We would say, we're here. But then guess what happens? Somebody comes in six months later, they say, I want to buy my donut and get my donut free. He said, that was our grand opening policy. Now you buy the donut. Now I realize this may be a trivial type of uh, way to illustrate, but what I'm saying is when the church began, there was the need to validate the gospel. The, the word of God was not completed that we have now, which guess what? The word of God we're going to see is powerful and living. And so at that time, there was the need for signs, but now there's not that need. Just like once you're established, you don't need to have a sign or, or special emphasis to do that. And so the gift of tongues does not endure forever. That's what God's word says. But the third thing, it is not one of the more valuable gifts. Some people in Corinth thought so. Some people today think so. But we're going to see next week that some people think that it's a sign of spiritual elevation, that if you receive the second blessing— And that you get more of the Holy Spirit, that you're going to manifest that by speaking in tongues. And that can be dangerous. First, because the scripture doesn't teach that. The scripture doesn't teach that speaking in tongues is greater spirituality. In fact, the only church that was addressed about the issue of tongues was probably and arguably the most carnal church. That's Corinth. They had more problems than anybody. And and so there's, there's the thought today that uh, this second blessing, and we're gonna talk about it more next week, will manifest itself in that. And you know what happens, a lot of people begin to say, well, I don't have that gift, I haven't gotten that, I must be less. And it leads them to doubt, and they can't be everything God's intended for them to be in the church. Why? Because they're following what somebody's teaching, they're not studying what the word teaches. Look at what verse 14 says about superiority. In, in verse 5, rather, of chapter 14, I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more than that, that you prophesied. In other words, what's Paul weighing out? He said, I wish you did this, but I more wish you would do that. He's elevating prophecy over tongues. The perf- per- person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets that the church may be built up. And so what was happening in the church there, people were feeling good about themselves. They were speaking. Feeling spiritual, they were speaking in tongues. There was no one to interpret, so everybody's looking around and saying, what's going on here? It wasn't building up the church. Paul says, I'd rather you prophesy. So what is the gift of tongues? Is it a known language, or is it an ecstatic utterance? I believe it's a known language. I believe what happened there And what he was addressing was what happened in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. People were able to understand the gospel in a language they didn't know. But it was a known language, just not known to them. Some people will say that tongues is some ecstatic utterance. And it's great people to say that because nobody can challenge that, right? There's no clear definition of a language. And so they begin to tear off in this of language and they say well this is a language not known to people and so it can be very difficult to challenge that the only problem is what's the scriptural basis for this I don't believe the gift of tongues is such an exhibition I believe that there are languages that have a human origin that were not understood by those who were listening now we know the curse of Babel don't we Uh, What happened was there was confusion of language, and so what happened in this particular context is people were divided in their understanding of language. Some people were speaking in a language not known to those in Corinth, but there was nobody to interpret what it is. Well, I want to look at four things that lead me to understand that tongues is a known language and not an ecstatic utterance, And, and I'm very thankful uh, for John Parker, my buddy who shared a book that I've been studying a lot on that helped confirm some of my beliefs on the matter and challenged me and others. It was a book by a man named Thomas Edgar called Miraculous Gifts. It's clear teaching, he mentions the word glossa. Glossa is the word tongue, and, and it can be tongue like the organ or the instrument or the part of the body, or it could be our speech, like you speak in a native tongue. But nowhere, he says, is it interpreted some ecstatic utterance that it is either the member of the body, the tongue, or it is speech. The second thing, the second reason I believe it's not ecstatic utterances but a known language is its precedence. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and here, there's no definition for tongue speaking. We can't go and say this is clearly what it's defined that doesn't mean we can't know it Uh, we have to understand the teaching of the entirety of scripture and to me the only place we can go is to Acts chapter 2 for instance you can study through the Old Testament I've read through it a number of times there's nowhere where the people of God spoke in ecstatic utterances it didn't happen in the Old Testament it may have happened among pagan people it was not happening among the Jewish people so you say where do we go to reference that We go to Acts chapter 2, because in Acts chapter 2, that was a miracle of hearing, of understanding a language that most of the people did not understand, but it was an understandable language. It was a human language, just not understood. Some people will say, well, that's the word dialectos, which is different from glossa, but I think that's sort of picking at words, much like I might say I gave a speech or I gave a talk. They're two different words, but both of them mean the same thing. But the fact of the matter is, when we look at the New Testament, the only miracle of language apprehension that we can truly connect the dots is at Pentecost. In fact, the basis of the the, the ecstatic utterance is the Neo-Pentecostal movement, and by the very name Pentecostal, it speaks back to a time where people were able to understand a human language. Also, as we look, and I know this is deep and a lot of stuff, but in the first 1,800-plus years of Christianity, it was understood to be knowable languages not known to people. It was only around 1900 in the movement of uh, the Neo-Pentecostal movement that it began to be uh, interpreted as these ecstatic utterance. What is an ecstatic utterance? It is a language not known to people and emotionally driven language but then third the context the issue at Corinth is not that the speaker used a language unknown to any person but that the listeners could not understand what was spoken what was appropriated in Acts 2 miraculously where people were able without a mediator to understand what was being said here in Corinth it was not able to happen They did not have that, and so there was a need for interpretation. Look at verse 22 also of our chapter today. In verse 22, um, it says, brothers, verse 20, Don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to this people by people of other tongues, speaking in other tongues. Who were they? It's an Old Testament reference to the people of Assyria. It was not an ecstatic utterance. It was a foreign language by the lips of foreigners. And even then, they will not listen to me. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to use the people of Israel to judge you that speak a language not known to you. Glossolalia, a, a language, a, a known language, but not known to you. And so as we look at this, we see these things that reinforce that it's a knowable language, but because of what happened at at Babel and the Tower of Babel and the confusion of language, there was a breakdown in understanding. But then there's another thing we need to be very careful of, Satan's strategy. Satan can be a deceiver. Satan can portray something as being of God that is not of God. Let me illustrate it this way. The days of Moses, Moses was in the power of God able to perform amazing signs. And so there was one sign where he converted Aaron's rod into a living snake. And it happened. You can read it in the scripture. But while he was doing the work, Pharaoh's magicians, not under the inspiration and power of God, but of Satan, simulated certain miracles. And so they converted their rod into a snake. Now imagine if you were there that day and you were just passing by and you saw Moses' snake and you saw the other snakes. You said, boy, Pharaoh's magicians, man, they're of God. But you didn't stay around long enough to see Moses' snake swallow the other ones. So you didn't have all of the information. What had happened? Satan would have deceived you. Think about this. Antichrist is coming. And what is he going to do? He's not going to say, oh, golly gee. He's going to try to perform works to deceive people, spectacles, things that are going to be amazing, and people will follow it very quickly. We need to be aware. Just because something is spectacular does not mean it is spiritual. In fact, Jesus in his ministry was wary of people who would follow the latest fad, or the quickest miracle. So as we move on, let's look at the issue at hand in Corinth now that that we've looked at the nature of the gift. Those speaking in tongues in Corinth, there was a problem there. And Paul was addressing the problem. And sometimes in the church when there are issues and problems We can't just turn away from them. We have to address them, and tongue speaking was an issue, and the issue again was this. People were speaking in tongues, but like birdhouses without holes, they looked the part, but they were not functional. The the intent of the gift of tongues, even though it was given early in the church, was to do what? To affirm the gospel that people might see that and it might be a sign and people might hear the gospel and believe. But what was happening in the church was people were not being built up by it. There was no interpretation. And so people were saying, wow, listen to that person. Man, I've never heard anything like that. And then somebody said, well, what are they saying? I don't know what he's saying. I don't know what she's saying. Somebody else, she says, what do you think? I don't know. I have no idea. And so Paul said this was going on and it was a problem. So I want to note just a couple of things from these first nine verses, and I promise you we won't go that much longer because we've gotten through the meat of this, which was important. But two things real quickly. The gift of prophecy and value had precedence over the gift of tongues. We've already noticed it in verse 5, but look at verse 1. Verse 1, he says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. Prophesy, to prophesy was more important than to speak in tongues. Why is that? I think it's a simple mathematic formula. The prophet received a word from God and spoke that word directly. That's a two-step process. The person who spoke in tongues would receive a message from God. Then that person would need somebody to interpret it, and then they would speak. That would be a three-step process. Now, just common sense tells you, the, the chance of getting it right is the two-step process over the three-step. If a shortage of time is the issue, you're going to take the two-step process over the three-step process, no matter how fancy something may look. And so what he's saying here is that prophecy took precedence over it. Now, what about the gift of prophecy? We talked about that last week. The gift of prophecy is also an inceptive gift. The gift of prophecy does not exist today. There are no prophets today. If there are, if somebody says they're a prophet, I want to sit down and say, what do you mean by prophet? That Some people say prophet, and what they mean is a preacher. And if that, then I'd rather them use the word preacher. Follow what I'm saying. There are no apostles today. Apostles were given the word of God and they recorded it. They saw the Lord Jesus Christ. There are no prophets today. What did prophets do? Give new revelation. New revelation. There's no new revelation. Guess what? We've got it all here. We've got it all here. In fact, we're warned in the book of Revelation, if someone adds to what is here, then that person is accursed if they take from it. Look with me quickly at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, is inspired by God. Everything. Not just the red letters. I love a lot of music. When I hear people saying, then I heard the red letters or read the red letters, and I, I change the channel a lot of the time. Because the black letters are just as much the word of God as the red letters. All right. If, if you start to esteem one over the other, then you begin to nitpick and choose. What does the scripture say? All scriptures inspired. The red letters, the black letters, they're all inspired. All scriptures inspired of God, and it's profitable for what? For teaching, for rebuking, for correcting for training in righteousness it doesn't say for prophecy i don't see prophecy there it says for teaching for rebuking for correcting for training in righteousness so the man of god may be complete equipped for some good works every good work every good work it doesn't lack and so the prophet who says i have which by the way that's where a lot of false groups have come from prophets who say i have a new word from god This is the authority. If someone speaks, let them speak from this. This is the word. There's nothing added to it. There's no new revelation. There's inspiration. There are people that preach it. There are people that can take and sit down and apply it in current situations. And so you say, well, here was prophecy. Here were spiritual gifts. Rick, you say they were inceptive gifts. And he says prophecies over uh, speaking in tongues, Neither of them exists today. What does it matter to us? Well, what matters to us is the word of God. And what he's basically saying here is the word of God, as it is clearly articulated, takes authority over everything. The word of God. The prophet in that time before the scripture was complete was speaking the word of God. And so what is it saying? The measure of spirituality and instruction in the church, and by the way, the lost people, is the written Word of God. That's how we apply it today. Real quickly, as we look back again at 1 Corinthians 14, and you see now why I divided the look, in, the, the look at our, our study into two weeks. In, in, in verse 2, he says, the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understand him. he speaks mysteries. But on the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to the people for their strength and their encouragement and their consolation verse 4 the person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up but the one who prophesied or in our context today who would take the revealed word of God and rebuke correct or teach builds up the church and then again he speaks of the value of the one over the other well what's the last point as we see today The misuse of the gift of tongues just wasn't benefiting the church there in Corinth. Look at verse 6. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? In other words, how will I benefit you if I'm speaking in a language you don't understand? And then he gives two illustrations. Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In other words, speaking of our speech, it, it can be like notes that are just bonk, 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 and you're saying, well, I don't know that song. I don't recognize that song. And so you can't join in on it. Or then in verse 8, in fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, Who will prepare for the battle? In other words, the battle cry of the bugle, if it's not understandable to the listeners, it's not beneficial. And then he gets to the point in verse 9. In the same way, unless you use your tongue for understandable speech, how will what is spoken be known? I realize in closing, this subject matter is not something that often is a priority in this congregation But it's important for us to understand what scripture has to say about the subject. And if we can summarize today, the authority for teaching is the very word of God in our day. It is God's revelation to us. There's nothing you can get from anyone else apart from the clear teaching Of the word of God. And if somebody wants to call himself or herself a prophet. And they say they just expound upon and teach the word. Then I would prepare. they change the nomenclature. But at least I will understand they're not being heretical. Because there is no new revelation. Everything. The word of God. We just read it. It is adequate and equipped for every good work. And so we see our giver. And speaking of the giver, weren't people amazed by his miraculous works? You know, sometimes I work with guys playing basketball, and I'll instruct them, and i watch them, and they just look at their beautiful form. And, and I'm saying, keep your eye on the target, not how beautiful you look releasing that thing. But it feels so good, doesn't it, sometimes to just feel like you can do that. You see, people wanted Jesus to get caught up in the works, but they were just signs pointing to something else. In fact, there were even times when he was in certain territories, like Jewish territories, called the Messianic Secret, where he told people not to say because he realized that the euphoria of the spectacular would get people off track. In fact, his disciples returned excitedly to him one time and said this, The demons are submitting to us. And Jesus said, Be more impressed that your name is written in heaven. Was he saying? He's saying this. I'm not impressed by the spectacular. I may in seasons have used the spectacular, but I've given you my word. Do you believe it? God still works miracles today, most certainly. I've seen them. I've seen them in my lifetime. God still does the supernatural. Yes, he does. But I know this, when it came down to it, and a man in hell was speaking to Abraham, it wasn't the miracle that was going to change him. It was the word of God. And when we go out and we take the word of God, there's a power that is greater than any spectacle. Let's pray. Father, as we've looked at this subject matter today, I pray you would direct our hearts and our minds. For some of us, this may be a, a new type of teaching. But, Father, as we have looked at it, we have looked at the Word of God. We have looked at uh, illustrations from the Word of God. We have looked at uh, precedents in the Word of God. We have looked at what the Word of God says about itself in Second Timothy 3.16. Father, I pray you would add to our understanding. But more than that, as we've been looking about living life in community, may it not be about us or our gift, but the benefit of the whole. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at spiritual gifts, but the greatest gift was Jesus himself, because